When I was in uh, junior college, I decided I was going to learn all about cars. I am not a very fix-it kind of person, um, kind of heady, nerdy kind of person, and, but I thought, this is something I've got to learn about. And so I bought this really thick book that probably cost me $250 because college textbooks just do that to you. And I read that thing. When you sign up for the class, though, they recommend taking a second class where you actually get to work in a garage on a bunch of cars while you're reading and learning. You get to apply what you're doing. And so I tried to do that, but that class was full. So all I could do was get the, the class that meant I would read the book. And I read the book. I mean, illustrations, and I knew what stuff was. And, um, but I didn't get into that class, and I had a little car that needed work at that point in my life fairly often, so I did it occasionally, and so I learned a couple of basic things about that. But because I, I wasn't in the garage, I wasn't really hammering out how this stuff really works in day-to-day life, I still can't do a lot on my car. And I read all those pages and spent all that time, but because I didn't practice it, I didn't apply it, it didn't really stick, and it didn't really help me. When we gather on Sunday mornings and we learn things about Jesus and we look at his word, it is not to get our fix for the week. It's, it's to, to learn and understand things about the kingdom of God and what God is doing in the world for the sake of how we worship during the week. The reason we gather for Sunday morning is for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They're connected. That's why we've gathered together to do this. And so as we learn from God's Word, we want to apply God's Word. We don't want to have it be where we just learn things, but then things aren't connected. And the reason why the Christian faith is that way is because Jesus is the reason why we're alive. He is in charge of us. He is Lord over us all week long. This isn't just His territory and then we go out on our own into our own lives and our own world. That's not how, how reality works. He is Lord everywhere. And what he thinks affects how we spend time everywhere we go. And so as a church, we've been looking at this mission of, uh, for, in all of Christ, for all of life, for all the world. And so uh, I wanted to show you, some of you uh, younger ones may not have been a part of this or heard much about this, but if we could bring up that first image um, this is what we've been using to, to kind of show that, that this is really what we're after as a church, to, that we see Jesus as central to everything. Our faith is not private. Our faith is not only personal. It's much more than that. It involves our heart. So why we think what we think and what we're motivated by and what, what we're longing to do with our lives and all those things are affected by Jesus. Our homes are affected by Jesus. How we interact as brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and an extended family is, be, is due to Jesus or is informed or influenced by Jesus. Our church and our community, we, our relationships with people are different because of Jesus. So the way we have friendship, the way that we interact, we're, we're here to not just to receive from the community, but to give to the community, to share the gospel, to, to be an influence, to be of help to others. But the one thing that we oftentimes don't connect with the gospel and with this mission is our vocation, which is a fancy word, for those of you who are younger, for work. It's one of the easiest places to forget that Jesus is actually our our boss, our our Lord, our King. And so this morning, we're going to look 
at that. Now, here's what I mean by work. Work is loving God through organizing and improving his world for the benefit of other people. Work is loving God through organizing and improving his world for the benefit of other people. That's just kind of a working definition we have. I want to show you a couple things from Genesis before we get to our passage in Colossians. I want to read some, uh, just a few verses in Genesis 1 through 3 to explain that work is good. I know it's sometimes hard to believe that, but why don't you all say that with me? Work is good. Again, with somewhat fake conviction, if you have to. Work is good. Okay? God made work. In the very beginning, before things went south, in the book of Genesis, it says in 128, And God blessed them, meaning man and woman, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. In chapter 3, when things go wrong, one of the reasons why we struggle to sometimes love work is because of what it says in verse 17 through 19. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So one of the things that spoils or sours when sin enters the world is what work is like for us. But work in its original form was thrilling. God took man and woman and he planted them in the middle of a garden with all of these beautiful things around and said, essentially, uh, imitate me and reflect me in organizing it and making it fruitful, and making it useful, and subduing it where it needs uh, suppression, and, and allowing it to thrive, and, and build culture, and build, be creative, and fill this place, and get all you can out of it for my glory. That's what work is supposed to taste like, and feel like, and be like. But because of the curse, work is different. Now work, just to be clear, is, is more than just what people do to get a paycheck. Some of you think of work as that way. It's kids who go off to school. It's men and women who work at a company making things or at a hospital caring for people. It's men or women staying home to care for children and to help raise them. It's the retired person who's helping their community or their church through volunteer service. Work is not just paid things. It's, it's the way that we organize and improve the world for the benefit of other people because of a love for God. That's what work is. Work is one of the main places that we worship. If you, from the age, I believe, of 20 to 67, if you work 40 hours a week, for, for, and, and obviously it's different for other people, some work way more than this, right? You'll end up working just about 100,000 hours in your life. 100,000 hours. This is a major way that we can worship God and need to worship God because we spend a lot of time doing this, okay? Now, I want you to picture yourself 
on a Monday morning right now, 1045. Maybe some of you even know where you'll be. Maybe you're at your job, you're at your desk, you're at your home, you're in a class. What does Jesus have to do with that moment? Sitting at your cubicle or sitting in your classroom or sitting at home getting ready for another lesson? What does Jesus have to do with work? So before we jump into our passage, I want to give you a few things called context, which is kind of like the before and after of a Bible passage, so that you kind of know where to pick up the story, okay? In Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be in 22 through 4.1, and we'll read that in just a second, but I want you to look at verse 17 right before it, okay, and I'm going to read it to us. Paul is talking about things that should be put on and how we should have the peace of Christ and his word should dwell with us richly. And then it says in verse 17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what Paul is saying in that verse is what we said earlier, which is basically Jesus changes everything. Jesus is Lord of everything. And so whatever we do, he uses those words because it basically covers everything, right? Whatever you do, it all needs to serve Jesus. It all is affected by Jesus. And so he goes on and talks about wives. Your life is affected by Jesus. Husbands, how you interact with your wife is affected by Jesus. Children, how you interact with your parents is affected by Jesus. And then he's going to talk about slaves and masters. And that's our part this morning. And I want to give you kind of a, a hint as to what's going on here. It's important to know what's happening with slavery in Paul's day, okay? When we think about slavery, we think of something a little bit different than what Paul is talking about. We picture people being treated terribly and being forced into slavery in our nation's history. Now, that certainly occurred in Paul's day. It did. But slavery was a much more normal way that people... Uh, made money for their families. It was a more normal part of culture. It was, it was typical that people were slaves. It wouldn't have been, been weird. But what's weird is what Paul says earlier in chapter 3, verse 11. Listen to what he says. This would have just shocked everyone who was listening to it. He said here, speaking of kind of in the church and within this community, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, Slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What that means is that the way that the world treated slaves is different than the way that the church was going to treat slaves and masters. That in the church, slaves and masters were equals. They were both people with rights to be respected. In the world, the world saw slaves as property, as instruments, like tools. And you don't really worry about your hammer's feelings or your lawnmower's emotional state, right? And it, that's how they thought of slaves. They thought slaves weren't capable of making right or wrong decisions. There was no inheritance possible for slaves. There was no rights that they had. But the church comes in and says, when you come here... You are all in Christ. It's very different here. You all have the same value. 
So slaves or free, they are all equally valuable. But the question is, even though they could sing next to each other at church, what were they supposed to do when they went to work as slaves and masters? And so that's where we pick it up in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. So why don't we go ahead and stand up for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read for us out of the English Standard Version. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one in the lobby um, and follow along. Here's what it says. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You can be seated. Now, here's our point this morning. Pretty simple. And just because things are simple doesn't mean they're easy, right? If you're an adult, um, simple is sometimes the more difficult thing to wrestle with. But here's the point. We work for Jesus first. We work for Jesus first. That's what we're saying. Now, Paul is saying basically that Christians, like other things, do things in a slightly different way, okay? Okay? Now, it's not that all Christians have the same job. We're not all teachers or plumbers or pastors or truck drivers or those kinds of things. We're very different jobs. Notice what he says in verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So I think he's describing kind of the different activities that slaves could do. But he's, I think he's also opening that up to, he intends for this to be beyond just for slaves, but for people who are also working in other ways in the church. So whatever you do, you should work in a certain kind of way, okay? Now, he gives four commands in that passage we just read. Obey, work, serve, treat people in a certain kind of way. But notice he spends a lot of his time telling us not what we should be doing, but how we should be doing it. Does that make sense? Not what we should be doing, but how we are to do those things. What's going on in our heads, in our hearts, while we work? That's what he's he's interested in. Um, have any of you been to In-N-Out Burger? Raise your hand. Look around, pray for those around you who don't have their hands raised. No, just kidding. Uh, In-N-Out Burger, I don't know if you ever noticed, but what, would, how, what words would you use to describe the kind of work that happens at In-N-Out Burger in terms of the, what's it like when you go in and you watch them work? Anyone? Yeah. Busy? Efficient? You ever seen the potato guy who's like, throwing the potato. I'm like worried about their fingers every time I watch them do that. They're just throwing them in there and just, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's like robots would not work as fast as that 16-year-old kid who's just cranking it out, right? When you work for In-N-Out, there's a certain kind of way you work. How many of you have been to Chick-fil-A before? Okay. What are things that you say kind of mark or, or you notice about Chick-fil-A? This is not, a, I'm not being paid to do this or anything. I'm just trying to think of places we all might know. Um, yeah, Aaron? Polite. I heard friendly. Yeah? 
Busy, okay, yeah. Yeah, Xander? It is their pleasure. <laughs> We're not sure if that's true, but that is what they say, right? A lot, yeah. And so you know if you work for that kind of environment, you know what, what it means to work there. You kind of get that vibe before you even do that, right? There's a way of working, a way of working. And that's what Paul is describing. There's a way of working the followers of Jesus have. We, we do things a certain way. Now, what is the Jesus-first way of working? What does it look like to work for Jesus and not for people? That's really what I want to look at in our text. There's three ways that are on your little sheet there. The first one is wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly. Wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly. Look at what he says in 22. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Paul says that one of the ways that followers of Jesus work is they work with their whole hearts. Everything in the inner man is, being, uh, is trying to do a good job. Now remember, he's talking to slaves who weren't treated all that well, right? So if you think you have an excuse to, to work half-heartedly, slaves certainly would have had that excuse. Now he says, not in eye service or as people pleasers. What does that mean, eye service? Looking busy is one, yeah. It, it, it means don't work, uh, it could mean a couple things. One, don't work just to make yourself look good. And don't work just when someone is watching you. Okay, that's what eye service as people pleasers means. Um, I read an article recently that said, uh, it was a firm that, that did a study, and they estimated that when March Madness rolls around for NCAA, the men's basketball tournament, that the average person commit, um, spends six hours of what is to be accounted as work time on March Madness. They, they estimate that the cost on our economy when the March Madness tournament happens is $13.3 billion. Uh, it, interestingly enough, a lot of companies said it's actually worth it because it builds camaraderie and it builds all this stuff. I want to show you, so this shot, this was a few years ago. I don't know if they still have this or not, but you can watch these games online. And there is a boss button, literally, that you can click and it goes from this to the go to the next screen, to that. <laughs> now those are fake emails. Those are not. That's not work you're doing. That's just the boss button, so that if your boss happens to be walking behind your cubicle <laughs> while you're wasting time at work, you have an option, right? That that's an example of eye service. Okay, of of people pleasing, of of pretending, of looking like. You're working when you're not working at all. Knowing Christ motivates work that is good, not work that merely looks good. Knowing Christ motivates work that is good. It's the person who's working wholeheartedly and being mindful of God. And the reason why they're working, get this, is coming from inside of them. But the person who is working half-heartedly 
Their motivation is coming from outside of them. Does that make sense? And the reason why the half-hearted person will work some of the time and not, you know, at the other times is because the things outside of them are changing. But the person, the follower of Jesus, is motivated from the inside. All right, it's been 10 minutes, so kids are starting to, to, to lose us here. So we're going to do a little activity. I'm going to hire a boss who would like, and I need an adult who is willing uh, to be, I know everyone groans at that thought. Kids are still asking to volunteer. <laughs> Okay, Scott, you were volunteered by your children. Good job. Okay, um, and now, so you're going to be the boss, and I need two employees who can be younger, but you have to be a little bit older uh, of a kid, okay? Um, I'm not going to pick Riddell children because there might be a conflict of interest um, going on there. Um, all right, uh, Ms. Rotman in the back, you want to come on up? Um, and Grace, you want to come on up? I, just so you know, I've, I've, I pre-selected her <laughs> for, for different reasons that hopefully you'll understand. Okay, so employees, you're going to be up here, and your task is to build something. And actually, the boss gets to decide what you build. So, Scott, what would you like for them to build? Anything under the sun? It, it just kind of... Within reason, I should say. <laughs> right? I don't even know what we have. All right. We have magnetic tiles, so I'll put the drill away. You won't need that. A rocket ship? Yeah. Okay, so you guys come on behind the table, and you have an equal number of magnets, and you can't start yet, although you look eager to do so. I have the earnings of these employees nice. that will be solely at your discretion. One will earn $3, one will earn $5. I know, big money. Um, all right, I know, now a lot of volunteers are coming up. He's like the boss, he has to give all the money away and gets nothing for himself, so sorry about that. But um, All right, so what we're gonna do is, the boss and I are gonna go outside for just a minute. Okay, you guys can start working and building. I'm going to talk with them for a second, and we'll come back, okay? And you'll get to build in front of all these nice people, okay? We'll be right back. How are our rocket ships coming? They're stressing out, aren't they? It's all right. Don't worry. No one's watching. Um, okay, so Scott is the boss, and he's going to be taking some trips through here just to kind of check things out, and then he'll, he's going to take a couple laps around, so you guys, just so he'll, he'll notice you. So, Scott has earplugs in as well, so he can't really hear what I'm saying, which wouldn't really matter anyway. So, we're going to say this is the wholehearted person, assuming the best, but you look like a wholehearted worker, right? Are you a hard worker? Yeah? Okay. So, she's the wholehearted worker, so we're going to put that here. Okay, this person is the half-hearted worker, and she's going to be checking those things out as well. No, have you guys ever worked with magnet tiles? I've never seen them. Never seen them before. Look, you're doing pretty pretty well though. 
lap number two. Inspecting the work carefully. So um, the half-hearted person serves, right, when the boss is looking. Or the other option is they could be working like crazy to impress the boss uh, in order to get something, right? Now think about, in both of those situations, who is the half-hearted person serving? Themselves. Right? Because whether it's... So sad. It's okay. Stick with it. So whether it's um, working over the top, working crazy number of hours to impress the boss, um, or whether it's kind of working... Uh, <laughs> sorry, now I'm distracted. <laughs> I know you are. Um, either way, the half-hearted person is really serving themselves, right, in what they're doing. Where the whole-hearted person is got their head down. She's trying. She's the first time. I shouldn't have paired you up against her. She has some experience with these magnet tiles. But, and the wholehearted person is able to do good work, regardless of what's going on outside of them, because their motivation has to do with Jesus. Right? Jesus is always a fair boss. He's always watching what we're doing. And the wholehearted person has the freedom of knowing that. Well, they don't, they don't have to merely impress. Obviously, they're interested in who they're, what their superiors think. It's not that we totally disregard our bosses or people who are in authority over us. Um, come on up. But um, there's a different kind of motivation behind it, right? All right, so let's go ahead and uh, hear from our boss. Now that he has things unplugged. He has some money to distribute. Um, and any thoughts, boss, on, on what you would like to do? I, 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 boy, um, there's, there's some fine rocket ships going on here. Very, very fine work. I, I see one seems to be a little more, uh, little, little more uh, uh, well-developed than the other one. And so I think I'd like to award the, uh, the, the greater to the, uh, to the more, more built rocket ship. This is, may I make the Yes, you may. Now? Okay. And, uh, and then two to John. There we go. <laughs> okay. Give him a round of applause. Good job. Okay, so you guys can take your money. You can head back to your seats. Well, work somewhat well done uh, for one of you, sort of, kind of. Now, think about... Think about how this plays out in a work environment, you guys, in a work situation. You might think in your job, uh, even if, if you're commended as a, as a hard worker, that other people are still getting accommodation. Sometimes it doesn't even work that way. Sometimes the people who are doing half the work get more, right? And things are not fair. But think about this. Think about this passage is telling us that, that God actually notices the work ethic of a, of a slave in the middle of the biblical world. I mean, think about that. The willingness of a slave to go the extra mile or to work with a good motivation 
is something that God notices. He takes notice of that. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 say, Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. And listen to why. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Slaves, people who the world care nothing about. God says the way that they work can actually dress themselves and show the pure doctrine of the gospel. It's a different way of viewing work. It's a different way of viewing every vocation, every job, every time you go to class, the way you view your retired years. The Jesus' first way of working is different, and God cares that what we do, we do with our whole hearts. So, for example, when teachers go out of their way for a student or take ownership for their class, God notices. When a salesman chooses honesty over profit, God notices. When a student works extra hard on an assignment for a teacher who doesn't grade all that carefully, God notices. When a retired person still approaches their service with an excellence, even though a boss isn't looking over their shoulder, God notices. When an employee is willing to give a person in the other department credit and not take it for themselves, God notices. When someone doing manual labor finds faster ways of doing things instead of slower ways to rack up more hours, God notices. When a student refuses to cheat and chooses to have a good attitude about a project instead of wine, God notices. When a worker doesn't stretch their breaks or lunch when everyone else does, God notices. These things matter to God. They glorify Jesus. They test, they show that he is actually our Lord when we are living in the world. So, first it means that what you do, you do wholeheartedly, compelled by inward motivations of wanting to please God. Second, we do what we do to get a reward and to avoid punishment. You'll notice it goes on and says in verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So God isn't afraid of rewards. You know, when I gave the boss money to give to them, you might have thought it spoiled the purity of their service. It didn't. God rewards his people. He's not afraid of them. He doesn't spiritualize them. He wants to give incentives by promising reward for hard work and for punishment for, for not working hard. Now, what is this inheritance? It says, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Normally, inheritance is passed on from parents to children. In the Bible, this goes all the way back to Abraham, who was given promises from God. They had a promised land, right, which was their inheritance. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, it says, Paul says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Ephesians 1, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now listen to this. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. 
So the inheritance is from the time when God promised Abram, you'll be a blessing to many, nation, to many nations. And then it takes the form of a land, and, it, and it can, the, the idea of inheritance grows to the point where it becomes essentially our salvation, our rest, our rescue in Jesus. So 1 Peter says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's what Paul is talking about. That the reward of our final eternal salvation with Jesus is sufficient to to keep us working in a Jesus-first kind of way. It means that that reward is so great that people can throw money at you all day long. They can give you honor and accolades and promotions and cars and all this stuff, but your eyes are fixed on that final, ultimate, big eye uh, inheritance. That's your big reward. That's what we're laboring for. That's not saying work hard and Jesus will pay you back by letting you into heaven. That's not what that's saying. It's saying this lifestyle of glorifying the Lord Jesus, of making everything about Him, of spending our life in worship to Him, that God rewards faithfulness in those things when He returns and when we face Him. It would be ridiculous for a person to trade the reward of Jesus for earthly things or to please our boss or whatever it is. There is a downside to you'll notice that if we're not faithful in this way, that we will have to give an account for that. And that's because God gave you this, and he gave you this, and he gave the ability to work and to to create and to do what he tasked you to do in Genesis 1 and 2. And so we will give an account to him about how we did that. So that means there will, we will have to answer for those things. The employee who takes shortcuts or the student who gets away with cheating or the person who loves to lo- find loopholes and take advantage of them or all those things we will give an answer for. Imagine me giving a project to my kids and some of my kids work hard and some of them don't. And at the end of the project, they, they come to me and then, and I say, okay, I'm going to reward you differently based on how you acted. I'm not going to say, you're no longer my child. Like, that work was so poor, you will forever banish from my, my last name, right? I mean, that's not, that's not the kind of judgment that I'm going to be bringing in that situation. And the judgment of works that we'll face when we face Christ is not, is not going to determine if we're in the family or not. But it, it, faithfulness is going to matter, though on that day, just like faithfulness matters with my kids in that project. So this reward, we're motivated by our eternal salvation that we have in Jesus, by this judgment of works that we will face. Lastly, we need to keep moving here. Uh, What is Jesus' first work like? Uh, First, um, it's sincere, wholehearted work. Second, it is motivated by reward and, and also by the consequence of not being faithful. But third, Jesus' first work is, is wherever you're at in the strata of work, and if you're you know, the top CEO of a multi-million dollar company, or if you're not, if you're at the bottom of that work chain, whether obeying or being in charge, regardless, Jesus is our first reference point for work. So whether... 
whether it's obeying authority or whether it's being in authority, Jesus is still first. In everything, he says, we are to obey uh, those in authority over us. Now, it's assumed that they're not being asked to do something that that's, would cause disobedience to Jesus, right? Because we can't serve in a way that doesn't have integrity and serve the Lord Christ at the same time, which is what the text assumes. But it's saying those things that you don't necessarily agree with, you think that, oh man, that is just policy, that is just not going to be helpful, that's a terrible idea. I mean, if Paul is telling slaves to obey in everything, then I think there's some transference to our work situation. God has designed earthly authority to work in a certain way. Listen to David Garland. He says, Many justify their dishonesty, their negligence, or their shoddy work because of perceived mistreatment by their employers. They assume that the injustice gives them a license to be dishonest or to use passive-aggressive ways of striking back. Many people find their jobs futile, boring, and unproductive. When they're plagued by abusive bosses who weigh them down with ludicrous policies and incoherent strategies, they live only for the weekend. Throughout the work week, they do as little as possible to get through. Because the, po- the boss is a pompous idiot and the company policy is unfair, burdensome, and ridiculous, the employees regularly seize every change chance to become slack in their duties. The Christian ethic requires an altogether different approach to our assignments. If Christian slaves were expected to work heartily out of reverence for the Lord, every Christian, regardless of their circumstances, must do the same thing. We've got to be careful in justifying bad work because of bad leadership. It's not a part of what the Christian work ethic is. Because our standard is higher because our boss is higher. Right? Our ultimate boss the one we're ultimately serving. Now, there's nothing wrong with trying to please an earthly boss in a, in a good sense, right? This is not just Jesus against your corporation. Like, that's not what's going on in this text, okay? Every boss, every parent, every teacher is just not the enemy. That's not what we're saying. Most of the time, the Jesus' first work ethic leads to favor with bosses, Right? It means that you're reliable and trustworthy and you do what you say. Notice, too, that masters are told to treat their slaves fairly. That earthly bosses and parents and teachers and employees make sure you're being just and fair. And this would have sounded totally nuts to Paul's world. Treat slaves fairly? (laughs) I mean, they would have laughed at this. So slaves weren't accustomed to being given grace. And masters weren't accustomed to be given accountability. But this text is giving both of those things. Because there is no such thing as authority apart from God. Right? God cares that the authority of an employer or a person in charge reflect his kind of authority. So maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you oversee people. And it's important that you remember that you have a master as well. So, how does somebody work in the name of the Lord? Third, they obey authority well or they lead others with fairness and justice as an act of service. So, let's cycle back and recap what we've learned and I'm going to ask you a couple questions about what's going to happen tomorrow on Monday, okay? So, to recap, our work matters a ton to God, right? It matters a ton to Him. It's worship and every kind of work matters to Him. 
I think it was Martin Luther who said, we can pray for our daily bread, but we need the farmer and we need the baker. And those people are the means that God uses to answer the daily prayer for, for bread. And we can approach of other people. And you may not think that what you're doing is all that significant, but Colossians 3 and 4 allow, uh, elevates the importance of what you're doing to a level because this is now about serving the king. This is now about worship. This is much more significant than cranking something through a factory line, right? Like the people who are working in toilet paper plants right now are like high on the priority list, right? Because toilet paper is like so popular because the virus and everything, everyone's panicking. Those people never thought that their role would be so significant as it is now, right? But here they are, so to speak, I know. So that kind of earthly significance, it, I, I get wanting to, to, to have a sense of this is for a purpose, right? But ultimately where that comes from uh, is from the Lord. I, we'll talk about this at our family gathering on Wednesday. We're going to talk more about flesh this out, but... Uh, one lady asked the question, like, what, how many hours would it take you to construct a chair? Like, the chair that you have in your kitchen, around your kitchen table. Like, if there weren't people doing all the thousands of things that needed to occur to produce that chair, imagine how uh, difficult your life would be, right? You'd end up back in a cave, like, writing on the wall again, right, if that was the case. So sometimes it's just because we don't see how our job, our, our little slice, our little role... Uh, is in the greater service of God's world. And there's an integrity to that. There's an importance to that. It matters. So our work matters to God. And this is saying that even the things that are in our head and in our hearts when we work matter to God. That's what Paul is really saying. So we're to work wholeheartedly, not watching who's watching us to impress them or to get out of work. We're to work for the reward of eternal life with Jesus and to be found faithful with the skills and resources we've been given. We work for Jesus by serving those in authority over us and if we're in a position of leadership, to lead others with fairness and justice. So whole heart, faithfulness, and serving under or in authority. Now picture Monday. Go back to Monday, tomorrow, 1121. Where are you going to be? Just You can take a guess um, if you're not totally sure. But I'm guessing, doing laundry, okay? You can do laundry for the glory of Jesus. So now as you think about that scene and put yourself in that setting, just, I want to ask a few questions, and maybe one of these questions will bug you a little bit. And you'll know that you need to work this out with the Holy Spirit this week and pray through your, your real answer to these questions, okay? So picture yourself where you're going to be tomorrow, 1121. Do you have a sour attitude towards your work? Why? What's causing that? Is that bad attitude finding ways to not work as hard as maybe you could? Whose approval are you working for? Is it only your boss? Is it yourself? Number three, when, when do you sense the Lord's pleasure or displeasure with your work life? What do you think you need to do about that? Number four, does having the best reward yet to come, your salvation, help you to not chase the approval or appreciation of others? 
Number five, how might God soon return and exacting judgment affect the way that you approach your work right now? And lastly, if Jesus were your actual employer, how might you change your work habits and motives? We'll talk more about this on Wednesday night when we gather uh, as a family. Uh, be praying uh, for one another in these things. If, if there's a way, too, that you know other people who are in the same discipline or same line of work, maybe this is an invitation to talk to them about how the Lord has helped them to grow uh, as disciples in their vocation. It's just an idea. Let me pray, and we'll be done. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, not just giving us um, lounge chairs in the Garden of Eden. Thank you for putting us to work. Thank you for allowing us to imitate you in your creativity and in your uh, uh, authority in some ways, in your wisdom, by calling us to, to help organize and structure and create around us through work. God, many here maybe have just not realized that their work is actual worship. And their work is a context to show off what you're like. You've got to be motivated by different things than the world has access to. God, we want to serve you first. And all the, the ways that that's going to change us and change the people around us in our workplaces, God, we want that. So would you expose things in us, God, as our Heavenly Father, in a way that's helpful and, and gracious, would you reveal um, maybe attitudes that are off or, or things even that we're doing right now that, that take advantage and that don't, don't speak well of you, even if no one knows about them. Help us, God, to think of our work not just in, as an opportunity to witness, which, which it is, but help us to see the, the dignity and the value of what we do as service to you. And we want to serve uh, people around us as best we can. And so that means um, being diligent and being timely and being honest uh, and working through when we don't feel like it and, and taking time to encourage others and to, to help other loads uh, maybe in our department or in our home. So help us to do that, God. Help us to, to, to labor and to work and to appreciate. I pray um, for, especially for the men here who have wives returning home, who've been watching children. God, I pray you'd help us to stay at the task. Help us to be ready to invest in our wives, to ask good questions and to listen carefully and to continue to serve and not to just see this as, as passing baton and now we can, we can check out and, and watch something on TV. God, we, we want to we have hearts that want to serve. So, so lead us in that, God. We need your help. We need your transforming power uh, to be those kinds of people. So I pray that tomorrow that it would be different, that Monday would be different because of Sunday. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.